Today, there's a lot that's on our hearts to share with you. But first of all, we always want to share and give our thanks to God and to you guys, especially here at the barn, because uh, for everything that's happening for us in Harrisburg, uh, you guys have been such a pivotal and critical part of of what's happening there. Um, many of you, well, as you have been supporting us, maybe you don't know just how much we appreciate it. And we wanted to take the time today to just to really let you know how much we appreciate your support, both in finances and in prayer, um, just being able to come here in fellowship. Um, I think one time I shared with you guys that uh, when we first came to this area, it was very difficult to um, kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is, break in, assimilate, assimilate <laughs> or become a part because I come from such a very different culture. Uh, I'm a Southerner. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, and so I'm very Southern in my, and you probably can hear it sometimes in my accent, you can, I'm very Southern in my, in my mentality, my upbringing, everything, culture, that's the word. Thank you, dear. And uh, so coming into this area where you northerners, you're very different from us. <laughs> and um, in, a good in a good way, in a good way. But, but I can tell you it was, uh, uh, we went through some very difficult times. We were a, a, a church plant sent to this area. Um, we had an incredible success in our city, in St. Louis, in the inner city where we served, my wife and I, for 17 years. Uh, the church of my older brother, uh, when he was sent out, uh, he didn't just start a church. He actually, uh, he, he was a graduate of Oral Roberts University. Um, uh, then he went from there to um, CBN, it's now called Regent University now, went to CBN and received his master's degree in all of that in public policy. And so when he came back to St. Louis, he was actually sent from Virginia where he was living. He was serving there as worship leader on staff um, with the uh, Rock Ministerial Fellowship. Some of you are familiar with Rock Church and John Jimenez. Um, and that's where he was. He was actually serving in that ministry. Uh, if you're not familiar with John Jimenez, John and Ann Jimenez uh, out of Rock Church, um, if you go all the way back to 1980, when the believers were called to come to America, come to Washington for Jesus, Washington for Jesus was done by Bishop John Jimenez. And they came back again in 88, I think it was 1980, they did again in 88. Um, and uh, he had a national television broadcast. This was well before TBN and all of those kinds of things. He had a national television broadcast and all of that. And my brother was on there every week leading the worship. And so it had always been in his heart to plant a church in St. Louis, Missouri. It's his home hometown. And he actually, I don't know why I feel led to share this with you guys. I'll go ahead, huh? <laughs> um, um, he shared it with his overseer that uh, God had already always had it in his heart to plant a church in his hometown. And so they took it before what's called presbytery because, of course, with this being the worship leader of his church, um, uh, Pastor John really wanted to make sure that this wasn't just another young man saying, I want to start a church, I want my own ministry, and all of that. He said, well, are you willing to take it before the prophets? 
and have a time of presbytery. And if you're not familiar with that, that's where you uh, really allow men and women of God who, are, who have an excellent reputation of hearing from God, speaking the word of the Lord, uh, having them to pray over you and give the word of the Lord over your life publicly. And he said, are you willing to go before the prophets and the presbytery to have this confirmed? And my brother said, yes, sure, because he was so sure because he's known all of his life that God had called him to plant a church in St. Louis. And so they did that. They took it before the, uh, before the presbytery. They, and it was something that that church did on a regular basis. Uh, there were other people who were going to be getting confirmed in ministry and, and, uh, and sent out. And so, uh, so when the next time came around, my brother was going to be was placed in the list of people to be prayed for. So it wasn't like they set aside a time just for him. They would just say, well, we'll include you in the next time of presbytery. So they had several people that were, had hands laid up on them, prophetic words spoken over them. My brother said even there were even some people where the word the Lord came to them and said, it's not time yet. It's This is God that's telling you to do this, but it's just not the season. And uh, But when it came down to uh, my brother and his wife, when they came up and got down on their knees, um, and uh, my sister-in-law was, what, seven, eight months pregnant <laughs> with their first child at the time, and got down on their knees, and, and then the people started to pray over them, and the word of the Lord came that, uh, that this was of God, and it was the time. It was the right time, the right season. It was it. And so at, uh, after they gave many, many prophetic words, which we uh, have heard over and over again. Uh, one thing I appreciated about this pastor was that at the end of all of those prophetic words, this pastor actually said to the congregation and said to the people that were praying, he said, we were praying that God would tell them to stay. <laughs> but the word of the Lord has come that it's time for him to go and we submit to the will of God. And um, so when my when the ministry started in St. Louis, that was 1985 that that prophetic word came. Uh, my brother eventually graduated from uh, from Regent University, and then came back to St. Louis. And for a year, first year '86 through '87, we did nothing but just meet and pray, and talk and dream and envision and what God wanted to do. And we actually got started in the den of my mom and dad's home. It was just seven of us, and two of the seven was children, our firstborn and their firstborn. Um, five adults, two children, starting in the den of my mom and dad's home. And little did we know uh, how God was going to incredibly, totally turn our lives around. Things were not going well for us at that time. Um, I, we had gotten married, started living. We were, first we got married in Tulsa, Oklahoma, then moved to St. Louis in anticipation of my brother starting the church. Um, and life didn't go too well. We had lost a home, um, lived, lost jobs, lost our homes. Then we was uh, living in my mom and dad's house. And then my brother comes back from Virginia saying he's going to start a church. And he'd like for us to help him. I'm like, help you. We need help. <laughs> I don't know why I feel led to share this with you, but uh, uh, I, it's amazing to me how God will call you in the what feels like the worst 
seasons and times in your life. Isn't that true? Yes. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel like you can really do anything. And he'll call you and say, now is the time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you feel least prepared, least ready, then he'll say, okay, now. You're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I, I think he designs it that way so that we are, we're totally dependent on him and not ourselves. We're not dependent on our experience. We're not dependent upon what we know or what we think we know, but we're totally dependent on him. Yeah. And so from that, believe me, I'm getting to a point. Um, from, from that, um, my brother asked that my wife and I would help them, and we just helped in any way that we could. Rather, it was doing your job that you're doing now, Gary. Probably we was back there in the sound booth, running sound, recording the messages, duplicating uh, the messages at the end. And that was before CDs. <laughs> that was cassette tapes. <laughs> cassette tapes and the, the and she typed up the labels and uh and and uh, and those those big huge duplicators i don't know if you've ever seen the old cassette duplicators they were huge monstrosities and it took them about uh, uh took them i guess anywhere from about five minutes to duplicate each one of the, you know to duplicate the the cassettes and first we had just one that duplicated two at a time. Can you imagine that? <laughs> two cassettes at a time. And, uh, but we tried to stay faithful just to do that. And, uh, and it was very important that we remain faithful. Then my brother asked me to uh, lead every Sunday with, uh, when we came to the time of, of the offering. He said, I want you to lead the congregation in the offertory worship. And again, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you want us to lead everybody else in offering when we have no place to stay. Our car is the worst one out of everybody that's attending. Our car was really bad. Uh, the, floor, the, the floorboard was rusting out in the bottom. Uh, in the back. Um, uh, we used to refer to our car as the Flintstone Mobile. <laughs> oh wow and so here we are encouraging everybody else to be faithful and you know returning the tithes and giving offerings to the lord and and uh so it wasn't like we could stand up there and say because here we're 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 assigning an example of, of being faithfully giving we're dressing nice and our car is great we had we're looking we're the worst ones in the bunch and god is telling here I am every week encouraging everybody to be faithful to give and not even and not even from that uh, that message that came out after uh, Dr. Kenneth Hagan some of you remember uh, Dr. Kenneth Hagan senior talking about faith and all of that and, and uh, we attended all Roberts University so we can tell you that in the beginning those men of God who talked about faith and prosperity they didn't teach it the way it's taught today What's, what's being taught today is not what Kenneth Hagin Sr. taught. It's not what Oral Roberts taught. The next generation that came out, they, they kind of added things. They put a spin to it, then made it about money and personal prosperity. These men, when they talked about prosperity, it was always from the point of purpose to fulfill God's plan in the earth. So it was about 
seeking God and the kingdom of God, and that when he blesses you, you are to be faithful to steward what he gives you. And it was also a necessary word in those days because so much of the body of Christ in America had grabbed hold to the thought that, you know, to be poor was somehow to be be godly and all of that. And he said, and so these men were teaching, and of course it was necessary. Here they were teaching, and both of them had built schools that it's okay to prosper. In fact, with the prosperity, there's a lot of things that we can accomplish, like what we're doing. We've been able to build universities and now educate the next generation of Christian believers to get them prepared so they can take it to an even higher level because God wants them involved in government and medicine and what today sometimes gets referred to as the seven mountains of influence. Well, those men were already pioneering that a long time ago. They just didn't use that those phrases. And so they talked about us being prosperous for the standpoint of being able to be more effective. Uh, Oral Roberts used to always tell us that when we were students, he used to say, God can use an ax to cut down a tree, but if he has a sharp one, he can get it done faster. And so the message of prosperity and an education and all of that was about us being sharp so that God could get things done faster. It wasn't about just building up a personal wealth, a personal portfolio, so that you can then say, now because I'm rich, now I can be a better example to the world of a Christian. Now that was the twist that got put on it later. And I'm saying this to you because here was God using us to encourage others to be faithful to give, but not give to get, but to give to honor God. Because when the tithe was, in, was, was started, uh, it was done as a covenant between Jacob and God. Many people, when they teach about tithe and giving money, they start with Malachi, you know, you're, uh, will a man rob God? And then they'll go to other scriptures about sowing and reaping. And they'll even talk about the hundredfold blessing. And, you know, and I want to just kind of throw this in. Hundredfold blessing was not attached to giving money. You won't find anywhere in scripture that says if you give money, you'll get a hundredfold back. Hundredfold was used in the context. Go and read it for yourselves. It was used in the context of talking about the level of the word when planted in your life and in your heart being multiplied back. Some 30, some 60, some hundredfold. It was talking about the measure of the word, not about money. It wasn't about giving money and then getting back. Each time that you hear the hundredfold blessing talked about, it was in the context of the level of the word reproducing in our lives. And Jesus specifically addressed the hundredfold blessing uh, as anywhere close to anything about money when he talked about only those who are willing to forsake all will in this life receive, didn't he say, a hundredfold in return. So again, it wasn't talking about giving money to get a hundredfold. He said, forsake everything. That's different from just saying, well, okay, I'm going to give a hundred dollars and I expect God to give me a hundred thousand. We'll really be a million dollars back. That's a thousand. That's actually a hundredfold. No, he was talking about, are you willing to forsake all to follow me? 
what Pastor was sharing today. Would you be willing to go through the torture, be a martyr, being betrayed? Would you be willing to forsake everything? That's a hundredfold. That's giving up everything. That's what the hundredfold blessing was connected with. In Jesus' own words, the one who's willing to forsake everything to follow me. And he says, in this life, you'll get hundredfold. But he also, then he added an extra little thing, with persecution. <laughs> so I find it interesting that in today's uh, among today's uh, faith and prosperity teachers, they're not even teaching what their founders taught. Sometimes, some of you, you may have come across different teachings, uh, and some people, they'll refer back to Kenneth Hagin. Well, this is what Kenneth Hagin said. He actually, I found out this week, I'd forgotten about this. He actually has a book that he wrote called The Midas Touch, in which he reprimands and scolds the next generation that was taking his message and turning it into a prosperity message. Remember that title, The Midas Touch, written by Kenneth Hagin Sr. And he has it in there that these guys are taking what I'm saying and they're turning it into something else. This is not what I have meant when I've talked about faith and prosperity. And that's not what Oral Roberts meant when he talked about faith and prosperity. They were talking about us lining ourselves up with the will of God and the purpose of God and the plan of God. And if he prospers you, which he promises to do, but he doesn't say it's always going to be money. And whatever way God's going to prosper you, it will be in line with his purpose for your life. It doesn't mean everybody's going to be a millionaire, but for the ones who he has called to, that. In other words, you always now connect it with the parables of the talents. One was given five, one was given two, and it, one was given one, and he says, and it was according to each man's ability. So there are some folks that they can't handle a million dollars. They can't handle, they cannot, they cannot handle being a millionaire, a billionaire. So why would God give them that? So he's going to prosper them according to their ability, their capacity. Isn't that great? So you, when you hear it in balance, then you go, oh, that's what Oral Roberts meant. That's what Kenneth Hagin meant. That you don't want to fall short of the, of the ability that God has. He wants you to live up to your full potential. Yeah. Even when the word of the Lord says, and you'll find that, uh, uh, was that John 3, uh, uh, beloved, I wish your, your soul would prosper, right. that you would prosper even as your soul prosper. You know that that's not even a promise from God. It was a greeting. I know we quoted it as a promise from God, but it wasn't a promise from God. It was one brother writing to another a greeting and saying, beloved, I wish, uh, I wish above all things that you would prosper even as your soul prospers he didn't say God said he said I wish above all things wow does that mean that God doesn't want us to prosper no but let's put it in the context of the scripture 
And so we've grabbed a hold of certain things and tried to make it a formula by which we operate in this world. And so literally millions of believers across America are falling away from the faith right now because these things that they were taught through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, now we're here in in the 21st century, and that stuff ain't working. It's not working. In fact, we're looking at things falling apart dramatically. And then some of them have been through things like us. You've been through the loss of a home. You've had foreclosure. The business didn't work. You did all the stuff that these people told you on television, and it didn't work. And it's not working. And so they think that it's the Bible or God that's not right. And they don't know. No, somebody gave you a tainted meal. It had a whole lot of truth in it, but then it had a little bit of poison. And you you probably know better than I do. It don't take much poison in the food to make you sick. It could be just a little pinch. It may not kill you, but you'll you'll certainly feel the effects. <laughs> And that's what a lot of this teaching is. It has a lot of truth in it, but it's got just a little pinch of poison. And so people have been nauseated. They've been sick. And I'm not trying to be too graphic, but spiritually they've been hurling. (laughs) Because this isn't what God meant. It's not what the founding fathers of what's called the faith movement. That's not what they meant. And so now we're back full circle. Here we are, it's 40 years, a generation later. And we're living in a time when America is in war. I do want you to understand we're at war. Uh, I stood before you a few months ago before the election and told you that if there is a conservative victory, we are going to have major backlash and war in America. And what are we looking at right now? I told you this wasn't going to be easy. This is not going to be pretty. And it's turning out that way. Because this is not about conservatives versus liberals. This is not about Republicans versus Democrats. It was never about Trump versus Hillary. And it still isn't about Trump. We're looking at something incredibly evil, sinister, that has come upon our nation. I know that some of you are probably wondering what is the big deal about immigration and uh, and that whole thing, but I want you to understand um, that the biggest part of it, my wife's standing up here, I got her standing up here with me for a reason. (laughs) She helps me uh, stay on track. And my brother, Joe Green, I understand he was here last night, and uh, just just want you to know, yeah, he really is my brother, uh, my brother from another mother. Amen. We don't have the same earthly parents, but we got the same heavenly father. <laughs> and we just so happen to have the same last name. <laughs> but I was here first, so. <laughs> I can claim the name. <laughs> So when you think of the Green Brothers, I'm the first. No, okay, I'm the, <laughs> I'm the greenest. <laughs> uh, 
I came across this article by this gentleman by the name of Alex Newman. He wrote this back in 2016. And uh, he, he, he says this, real truth be told, the driving forces behind open borders and indiscriminate, unvetted, illegal immigration are globalists. You probably always hear Joe Green always talking about the globalists and the elite. Well, that's who is behind all of this. Um, and many people think when you hear somebody talking like this that it's conspiracy theory, but it's not conspiracy. The same people, let me just read it. Uh, um, let me find... Uh, this, friends, is not merely conspiracy theory, uh, conspiracy theory yet ignorantly re uh, relegated by those who are either woefully uninformed or ever go... Ever See, she helps me with these words. <laughs> or they are ill-informed on the subject. Um, um, here's a quote. After having literally created the refugee crisis from start to finish, destroying the multiple Middle Eastern nations and then demanding that Europe and now America accept the millions of displaced victims, the internationalist establishment is now exploiting the chaos that it unleashed to push more globalism. That's why you hear Dr. Green, Dr. Joe Green, constantly talking about this. They created this crisis destroy these Middle East nation, Middle Eastern countries, driving the refugees into Europe and now into America. Now just think about it, just from a very normal, natural standpoint. This isn't the first time we've had wars. And there was already scores and teams of people that were trying to get, the, uh, and many nations were willing to, to get help to the refugees in their countries or to some of the surrounding countries. One of them was Dr. Abby. As you guys know, many taken many trips uh, uh, into Iraq and beginning, and she was starting to gather support in teams of people to go to the refugees. Um, and I wanna kinda put this on more human terms so that you can really understand the devastation of what's been happening here. Back when Hurricane Katrina hit the southeastern part of the United States, we had thousands of refugees in America. American refugees. American refugees. Yeah. These people were displaced completely. Right. And they had to move into states north, north of them. And Missouri was one of them. Our church took in several people from the New Orleans area. Thousands of people were displaced. Now. Now let me give you a little bit better perspective. Now what made more sense? To send aid to the various states that were helping the refugees or to gather up all these people from Alabama and Louisiana and send them across the ocean over into Europe. Because that's what's happening. Yeah. Instead of just letting the refugees go into the neighboring countries around them who were willing to take them in and let's send the money and the aid to them there. The decision has been to no, let's send them into totally foreign 
countries, culturally, everything, where they don't know the language, the culture, they know nothing. So I want you to understand, there's a reason for that, and that's because we have these folks that sit up in these elite positions that are intentionally trying to destroy nations. Because if you overburden these nations with people that cannot be supported, you'll destroy them economically. You will destroy them. We're talking about we have taken in hundreds of thousands of refugees and you place them on the welfare system and the medical system. And, and we, as we've all known, we haven't been able to support our own. Just from a natural standpoint, I'll be, let me be a little bit earthly natural with you now. I don't understand why the NAACP hasn't been standing up screaming through all of this, saying you're taking in hundreds of thousands of more people and you haven't really, what, what have you done with our people? I'm wondering why they aren't screaming. Why are you taking on hundreds of thousands of more people when we've got hundreds of thousands of African Americans that have now come, that have been kicked off of welfare the last four, five years. Wow. So you see what I mean? I'm just putting to you just in earthly, plain language. I'm not, I haven't even got to the spiritual, demonic, <laughs> principalities and high places aspect of all of this. And why am I saying this? Why am I even sharing this with you? Because something sinister is happening and God is raising up his people. He said, what can we possibly do in the midst of all of this? His word promises in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face. Here's a key one. Turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. You forgive our sins, heal our land. They're here now. The people are here now. And more are on the way. Personally, this is just me personally, I think it's futile right now to now start trying to launch campaigns to send them back. Right now, let's deal with where we are, the people are here. So it's a wonderful opportunity for the church to stand up. These people are here now. He said, but what about the ones amongst them who are terrorists? Well, this isn't the first time the church has had to deal with terrorism. There was, there was this terrorist named Saul. <laughs> who was going out looking for these people of this thing called the way. He was going house to house, dragging them from their homes and putting them in prison. And one day with papers in hand, he was on his way to go get some more when he had an encounter with the living God. So now you see why we say for those that are here with evil intentions, Church, let's pray that they would have a Saul experience with God. 
we were in our Friday night gathering home church group, and we started praying, Lord, even the ones that they already, you know, they got their bombs and everything all strapped, and Lord, let, they, let their equipment malfunction. That's how, we, that's how I believe we pray. Let it malfunction. Let them have an encounter with you. What do you think would happen in America if, if uh, revival broke out amongst Muslim people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What if what the enemy intended for evil, <laughs> God turns it for good? And since a whole lot of us wouldn't go to those nations to preach the gospel, then what if God let all of this happen so that they can come here and get it firsthand? So don't be in fear about this. This is, I believe it's time to really get it excited about this. And believe me, we won't have to go searching for them. They're going to find us. They're everywhere. I said it to a, a, a group, To a, we spoke at Joe Green's church last Sunday. <laughs> yeah, we've been seeing a lot of each other lately. And um, we told his people last Sunday, I said, well, they don't have anywhere in the hood to place these people because the hood's already full. So guess where they're going to place them? Right out here. They're going to be placed in, in the suburban and the rural communities because the cities are already full. There's nowhere for them to go. So don't get afraid. Just say, okay, Lord, prepare my heart so that when they show up at the store and they show up in the schools that I don't get in fear. So that's why you can't be led by what you're, what you're watching on television and what you see on the internet. These are hurting lost people. So you can't look at every single one and be trying to look and see, I wonder if they look too bulked up and they've got a bomb on them. See, that means you've already been in, operating out of fear. No. I don't know their language. I don't know their culture. But everybody understands the language of love. Everybody understands a smile. Yeah, there are some things culturally we need to understand, like men, don't go up and try to talk to the women. Please. <laughs> don't go up and say, hello, how you doing? Welcome to America. No, men, that's culturally, no. You don't cross man talking to a woman. Women, don't go up and try to talk to no guys. Men to men, women to women for their culture. But you are able to say, hello. Smile, even if they don't understand your words. Welcome to America. Why is that important? Because they're not expecting that. They're not expecting, especially once if they find out that you are a Christian. They've been told that Christians hate them. They've been indoctrinated that way to think that Christians hate them and that the reason why you're not speaking to them it's not because you're afraid of them. It's because you hate them. That's what they've been told. So we get a chance to break the stereotype. And who knows what it can lead to when there's a smile, when there's a welcome. Yes, Lord. 
Could you take a moment just as you're sitting here and say, Lord, I open up my heart to you. Thank you, Lord. My life to you. Use me, Lord, to be an expression of your love to people who are lost. Yes, Lord. Do you know that some of them, they're not only uh, natural refugees, they are spiritual refugees. In their spirit, they're in a foreign land. Not every Muslim has embraced Islam in its radical form. The majority, it's just, it's the religious culture that they grew up in. They don't know a God of love. They don't know a God of compassion. They don't know anything about a God of mercy. They don't know anything about a God of a second chance and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth <laughs> chance. They know nothing about that. And we get a chance to make a difference in their life. God has placed Carol and I in Harrisburg um, and he's connected us with the Shalom House Women's Shelter. He's connected us now with a, a ministry there called Downtown Daily Bread. We don't know who may appear in any of the settings that we are in. Downtown Daily Bread is a ministry that uh, opens up every day. They feed people every day. What is it, 12.30 to 1.30. Uh, lunch every day. They provide lockers and a shower for people. Uh, a place to just to kind of hang out uh, throughout the day. And they open their doors, this ministry, open their doors and ask for help from other ministries around the city to come and help them. Uh, make office space available so that we can meet with clients there and, uh, and just come in and sit and talk with people, minister to people. And of course, you know, we were right on that. And one of the things that they asked for specifically was for life coaches. Wow. God's funny, isn't he? Why am I sharing that with you? Because when we go in, you're going in. <laughs> your prayers and your support is what's helping us to do that. God's up to something. And I love coming here to report to you guys what's happening because you're in there with us. I believe that when we stand before God, and he says, well done, my good and faithful servants to Chris and Carol Green. We'll be able to turn to all of y'all and say, come over, y'all in on this. Because we couldn't have done this if it hadn't have been for the barn helping us, praying for us. Thank you, Lord. Finally, I want to just share with you guys and make this a matter of prayer. And, and I'm connecting it with all these things that are happening in our, in our nation with all this influx of people that are coming in. The Lord's put in our heart to establish a learning center. He said, what is all this leading up to, Chris and Carol? And I haven't shared this publicly with anybody. We've only talked about this with our people. But I'm sharing it with you because I want you to be the first 
to know what's been in our heart. God's put in our heart to establish a learning center in Harrisburg. We've discovered that there are a lot of people, they don't have any idea about the things of God. That feels really strange because you, so you say, but there's churches on every corner in Harrisburg. There are people that have no idea <laughs> about the things of God. Even with churches on every corner, let me say it again, there are people who have no idea <laughs> about the things of God. They know about religion. They know about stained glass windows and crosses and rituals. But they don't know about God. They don't know about the living God. The one who will in the midst of the crisis in your life will break open opportunities that you didn't even see it coming who will settle you in his peace when you feel like you're about to lose your mind because the bills are due and you have no way in the world of being able to pay them. Harrisburg has done a great job, and I will come in Harrisburg on this. They've done a great job with benevolence and outreach. You can, you can get food every day. You can get clothes every day through the various benevolence ministries and outreaches and still people are lost. Why? Because even after you feed them and after you clothe them, something still has to happen to the inner man. And God has instructed us to, yeah, go ahead and get involved with the feeding, with the clothing, with the education that they need, but my presence must be there. Thank you, Lord. So how many of you are going to be praying for us as we're just moving forward with what God has put in our heart? Just keep that in your mind, the Fruitful Life Learning Center. God, let his will, let his will be done. Let his power be present. We're expecting the move of God because now as we anticipate more of what we call foreigners showing up at our door who need to learn English, who need a friend, who need a place to stay. It's been interesting to us as God's been connecting us with, with now we're connected with a women's shelter and he's connecting us with an employment center and he's connecting us. So we'll be able to refer people to the services that they need. He's building those relationships, but he's placing us in, in a, putting us in a position where we can meet the real need. Can you imagine how many people are going to be trying to figure out what's a learning center? Why would God call it a learning center? Here's what he put in my heart and I'll close. He said, he said, take my yoke upon you, upon you and learn of me. So he said, I want a learning center so they can learn of me. Amen. And there they will learn to worship. They will learn to pray. They, they will learn the relationship. Thank you, Lord. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.